Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo, live on this Thursday evening right here on SportsMap Radio as part of the Believe Hour. I am taking you right up until the NBA draft. 7 Eastern right now, 4 Pacific. The draft will be starting as this show wraps up. And it doesn't seem like in the first three, four picks... There are going to be a whole lot of surprises. We'll get to what happens with that fourth pick. It seems like one, two, and three are all set. The player-team combo. We'll get to, we know who the player is going to be at four. Jaden Ivey, the obvious choice. But will it be with the team that currently holds the fourth pick, the Sacramento Kings? We will see. We're also going to get to Rob Gronkowski. Gronk has retired for the second time. Will this hold up or will we be seeing more of Gronk? We'll dive into that. We'll also discuss where Rob Gronkowski ranks among the best tight ends in the history of the NFL. Don't call me crazy. He might be number one. Of course, we've got to get to the Golden State Warriors, right? The now defending champions, champs for the fourth time in eight years. I know it's been a while. The last time I was on the air with you was, of course, right before game six of the Warriors Celtics, that clinching game. We'll discuss where this dynasty ranks all-time, where Steph Curry ranks all-time. Maybe if we have time, we'll even dive into a little baseball. The All-Star Game voting, they've got that new format this year where the top two at each infield position go to a runoff that starts a week from today, June 30th, where you can then vote between the top two infielders and the top six outfielders to determine who the starters will be for this year's MLB Midsummer Classic. We've got a jam-packed show. Might even dive into some personal things. I was a part of a live dating show last night right here in LA, and that was a hell of an experience. Luckily for me, I've got no issue playing the role of villain because last night the boos were coming in loud for me at the Palace Theater. Maybe we'll even dive into that as well as part of this Believe Hour right here on SportsMap Radio. You're locked into Sorallo Sports Talk, so don't go anywhere. I'm Joe Sorallo. We'll be back after this. All right, back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo, as I get ready to take you through this Believe Hour right here on SportsMap Radio, leading up to the NBA draft less than an hour away. We've got so much to unpack in this hour. You know, I teased it a little bit at the end of that quick intro that last night out here in LA, I was actually part of a live dating show. It was part of the You Up podcast. Uh, Jared Fried, Jordana Abraham, they do a great job on that. And, you know, you're living in LA, you're 24 years old, such as myself, and uh, why the hell not do something like that? It was it was an awesome experience, live at the Palace Theater downtown last night. Had some of my Believe colleagues and friends in the audience, actually had some family in the audience for that one, and uh, it was great. They set me up on a blind date with uh, with a beautiful girl from Orange County. Had us go on this date 
last Saturday and then brought us on stage separately where the other person was backstage and couldn't hear what uh, what the one on stage was saying. Brought us out separately to talk about the date, to rate the date, and then brought us out together for the end to, uh, to decide if we wanted a second date. So that was a great clip. And of course, if you want to see some clips from that show, from my performance up there, head over to my socials. That's at Joe Serralo on Instagram, at the Joe Serralo on both Twitter and TikTok. But don't forget, I'm a sports host. This is a sports show. So what else can you get on my socials? You can get my best bets so far, Monday through Wednesday, first three days of the week. I've given out two a day. I am five and one. I am seven of my last 10. Go get my best bets. Go make some money. I'm killing it. I want you guys to profit too. Hit me up on socials. You can find those daily bets of mine. You know, there's no bet worth making in the NBA draft tonight because as is the case, you know, almost every year, it seems at this point, we pretty much know how the first few cards are going to fall. And you know, look, you got to give credit to Adrian Wojnarowski over at ESPN. He's he's just, it doesn't matter what sport, what company, he's the best insider in the business. And I'm not just talking basketball. Across every sport, Woj just has everything before the rest of the world gets it. And it looks like we know it's going to be Jabari Smith. First pick in a few minutes, it'll be official, to the Orlando Magic. It looks like it'll be Chet Holmgren to the OKC Thunder at the number two pick. And Paolo Banquero the Duke standout last year to Houston with the third pick. Now, what we do know and what we don't know surrounding that fourth pick is that Jaden Ivey will probably be the fourth pick, the sophomore shooting guard out of Purdue. We don't know where. The Sacramento Kings currently hold that pick. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, in a few minutes it comes in that the Kings have traded that pick away. People have talked about my New York Knicks potentially looking to trade up. Now, personally, I don't think that's the move. I don't really want to see the Knicks trade up. Do I love Jaden Ivey? Yes. Do I think it's worth giving up capital to move up to four here? No. I think if you're going to give up capital, you know, via a trade this offseason, go get Donovan Mitchell, finally, right? I mean, mean, Donovan Mitchell, and, and I've probably said this on these airwaves before, Donovan Mitchell is destined to be a New York Knick. He needs to be a New York Knick. I need Donovan Mitchell and R.J. Barrett lining up next to each other at the two and the three. So personally, you know, I'm just going to be fully transparent where I stand. As a Knicks fan, I don't want to trade up to four as much as I love Jaden Ivey, as much as I think Jaden Ivey can be the best player in this draft class. There is no doubt in my mind, nothing would shock me about Jaden Ivey when it's all said and done, having the best NBA career of anyone in this year's draft class. Now, there's probably three or four guys that I could say that about, and Chet Holmgren's not one of them. But before I get into that, because I've got to to keep you guys tuned in, right? I can't, can't give away all of my secrets in the first 10 minutes of the show. Can we talk for a second about the fact that it is absolutely terrible that a week after the NBA Finals conclude, we have the draft? Like, I think when you look at how the NFL handles the draft and how the NBA does it, the NFL is so much better at making it just an absolute spectacle. I mean, you have the Super Bowl, you know, used to be first Sunday, now the second Sunday in February, and then two months of draft coverage. Now, is that arguably excessive? Yes, no doubt about it, that, you know, 
the, the way that the Super Bowl ends, and then it's actually closer to two and a half, three months of nonstop draft coverage, it's a lot. But would it kill the NBA to give us a month of breathing room? I mean, a week? A week after, we're celebrating the Warriors and Steph Curry and Steve Kerr and the, you know, one of the greatest dynasties in NBA history. Seven days later to the day, we're drafting the future of the NBA. It's just, it's too much in too short of a span for my liking, you know? Let the Warriors breathe. Let, let basketball fans breathe, you know? It's not like there's nothing going on. We got a great Stanley Cup Finals going on right now. And, you know, just the sad reality of hockey being, you know, way behind football, basketball, and baseball in, in this country. It's like the Avalanche and Lightning have treated us to two overtime games and two, you know, pretty lopsided but exciting shootouts throughout the first four games of the series. It's like, let people... Focus on the Stanley Cup. You know, baseball right now, I mean, and I know we've got a long summer where baseball is going to be front and center until football starts, but how about what Shohei Otani has done this week? I mean, first player ever in a two-game span, you had Tuesday night as a DH, he hit two home runs and knocked in eight RBI, albeit the Angels lost, only the, I believe, fifth time in MLB history. A player had eight or more RBIs in one game. And his team took the L. It shows you just how bad the Angels are, can, uh, especially compared to where they were a month ago. I mean, this is a team that was, you know, once 27 and 17 on the season, and now they're floundering below 500 in a matter of weeks. But you have Otani with a two home run, eight RBI performance on Tuesday night. And then last night, as a pitcher, allows two hits through what, seven shutout innings and 13 strikeouts. The guy is a unicorn. I've said it before, I'll say it again now, I'll say it again in the future. He's one of one. What Shohei Otani is doing in the year 2022 is to me more impressive than what Babe Ruth did given the level of competition. Given the 30 teams now compared to the what, 10 teams when Ruth played? Given the fact that these guys are world-class athletes now compared to, you know, I mean back then, look, you had Ruth, you had Gehrig, you had Ty Cobb, and then you were playing up against, you know, a, a bunch of plumbers and carpenters, right? Guys who had you know, full-time jobs, bartenders in the offseason, right? I mean, look, Babe Ruth is one of the greatest and certainly one of the most important athletes of all time, not just baseball players, athletes. The guy saved the game of baseball. Baseball was dying when Babe Ruth saved it, but you cannot compare the level of competition he faced to who we see today. I mean, look, the guy, point blank, you know, point in case, Guy was eating eight hot dogs a game in the dugout. Now, did he, you know, could he hit home runs like no one else that we've ever seen? Absolutely. It was a dead ball error. It was a different game. But the guy was, look at his build. Look at the athletes that you have today. I mean, the guy was obese, you know? So yeah, he's the best, you know, one of the best home run hitters we've ever seen was unlike anyone else. But what Shohei Otani is doing, I mean, the guy's hitting two homers one night and the next night striking out 13. He runs like the wind. Broke up a no-hitter a week ago with a ninth-inning triple. I mean, what he is doing, Shohei Otani does not need to hit 500 home runs one day or get 3,000 strikeouts to be a Hall of Famer because he's doing something that no one has done in almost a century, and he's doing it at a damn high level. You know, this isn't Rinke and Keel that we're watching, a guy who, yes, did both throughout his career but never perfected one. This is a guy who's excelling as a dual player, a pitcher, a hitter. Uh, I mean, you know, so we've got a lot going on. We've got a great Stanley Cup Finals. 
We've got some of the best athletes in the world playing baseball. We could use a little more than a week between the Warriors cutting down the Nets, winning an NBA title, and then the NBA draft. But the draft is tonight. I'm not that high on Chet Holmgren. I think that the Oklahoma City Thunder are making a mistake with the number two pick, taking a guy who's seven feet tall, who's 185 pounds, soaking wet, and who, you know, to quote, what's the old movie, A Christmas Story, when, when they see the box come in and it says fragile, and they go, what is it, Italian? Chet Holmgren, he's a little fragile. I, I don't trust this kid to have a long, successful NBA career. I think there's better options in this draft. I think Banquero's a better option. I think Ivy's a better option. I am not on the Holmgren train. I'll dive into it deeper, how much I also love Jabari Smith. I think he's a shoe-in to be a stud. Stick with me, Joe Serralo. You're locked into Serralo Sports Talk right here, right now on Sports Map Radio. Back here on Serralo Sports Talk, you're locked in with me, Joe Serralo, as part of the Believe Hour right here, right now on Sports Map Radio, about halfway through the hour, taking you right up to the NBA draft. You've heard me say it. I don't love Chet Holmgren. I don't think he should be the number two pick tonight. I think that there are at least three prospects in this draft who will have more reliable, more consistent, longer, better careers than Chet Holmgren. I'll I'll get more specific. We'll dive into that as the show goes on, as we get closer to 8 o'clock Eastern time, 5 Pacific, and the official tipping off, if you will, of the NBA draft. But, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I think that a week between the conclusion of the NBA Finals, and if that had gone seven games, by the way, it's less than a week. We're talking like four or five days between the conclusion of the NBA Finals and the NBA Draft is absolutely ridiculous. You know, the NFL, maybe it's overkill that we've got nearly three months between the Super Bowl and the Draft, and that's all we have is NFL Draft coverage just jammed down our throats for three months. Maybe it's a little much, but I I think there's a happy medium to be had there. And, And I think if the NBA just gave it a month, between, you know, the finals ending and the draft, it would be enough time to soak in the finals and appreciate what we just witnessed. Because what we just saw with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and Steve Kerr getting his ninth ring, five as a player, four as a coach, what we just saw is one of the most impressive dynasties in the history of sports, especially in the history of of the NBA. Now look, we've seen NBA franchises win more rings. The Warriors now have four rings in the last eight years, right? Obviously, MJ and the Bulls, Chicago, all six of their rings came during the Michael Jordan era. You've got the Boston Celtics, you know, Bill Russell, 10 rings in 13 years. Absolutely incredible. Given, you know, just like what I was talking about with Babe Ruth before, comparing him to Otani and the level of competition. You know, look, Bill Russell, I'll say this, He had to go up against Wilt Chamberlain every year, you know, multiple times a season, every year in the playoffs. So it's not like he was playing against nobody, but after Wilt, after Bill, you know, I mean, you're you're looking at a lot of six foot six centers, right? You, You had those two quite literally and figuratively giants among men. And then you're dealing with centers who were six, six and just couldn't do squat against them, but still 10 rings in 13 years. And it's an incredible dynasty. You can argue what the Warriors have done. In today's day and age, in today's era of basketball, maybe more impressive that they've gotten four rings in eight years. You can argue maybe that it's more impressive than what the Bulls did as a collective team. Now, I'm not saying, 
I'm not going to sit here and say Steph's better than Michael. Don't misconstrue those words. But what Golden State has done in the last eight years might be more impressive than what the Bulls did. Because NBA talent, just like talent in all sports, right? You know, as, as we progress as a society, as people invest more into their bodies and these athletes become freakier and freakier every year, the level of competition becomes more difficult, more challenging every single season. And if you look at what Golden State did this postseason, not just winning the ring, but the style, the fashion in which they won a ring, they didn't have a single series go seven games. And do not, do not sit there and tell me that it's because they didn't play anyone or because the competition was watered down. Let's look at each of the series that Golden State took you know, en route to their fourth title in eight years. Denver Nuggets. Yes, you can say that the Denver Nuggets had nothing because we, we know, you know, this team was battered by injuries. Jamal Murray went down early in the season. This was the Nikola Jokic show, right? Back-to-back MVP, well-deserved MVP, by the way. I know a lot of people were upset that Embiid didn't get it. Uh, I mean, Jokic had absolutely zero supporting cast, still led the Nuggets to a great season and a playoff appearance. Golden State takes care of them. Gentlemen sweep five games. You know, you lose game four on the road, go back home and end the series in five. So, okay, that, that was against a one-man show. Next series, Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis Grizzlies had one of the best seasons in the NBA. I mean, who the hell saw them doing what they did, getting the two seed in the Western Conference? I don't think anyone expected that. John Morant, one of the brightest young stars in the game, but the fact that the Grizzlies were something absurd, like 19-3 and or 19-4 and in games where John Morant didn't play this season, they're a complete team, one of the more athletic teams in the NBA, guys like Triple J, Desmond Bain, one of the best sharpshooting, uh, square-up three-point shooters in the league. You know, Golden State makes quick work of Memphis. They go up 3-1, end up taking care of them in six. And then the conference finals. You get the Mavericks. They come back from that 3-2 deficit, beat the Suns, absolutely embarrassed Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and company in game seven. And people are thinking, all right, this might be Luka Doncic's year. The Mavericks might take down the Warriors Same thing as the first round. A gentleman's sweep. Warriors go up 3-0, drop game four, clinch it at home. They made quick, light work of a Dallas Mavericks team that had the entire NBA and everyone watching, the entire country, the entire world on alert. The Warriors made them look like nothing. And then the finals. The Boston Celtics sweep Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the Brooklyn Nets. Beat the Milwaukee Bucks, come back from a 3-2 hole, beat them in seven, beat Jimmy Butler in the Miami Heat on the road in game seven. And the Warriors, after that embarrassing, ugly, hideous second half, or fourth quarter, I should say, in game one that saw them blow a 15-point lead and actually lose game one by 12. After that, and after finding themselves after game three in a two-to-one hole, the Golden State Warriors rattle off three straight wins, and take care of the Boston Celtics, clinching the only series all postseason that they clinched on the road. I mean, the Golden State Warriors had one of the most impressive, dominant postseasons that we have ever seen. You know, look, they bounced. I know the Nuggets as a team didn't have a whole lot. They bounced the MVP in the first round. That's all, that's all I need to know. They bounced the MVP in the first round. They bounced the two seed in the second round, and then they took care of someone who people will argue is the best player in the world. I say, you know, he's around fourth or fifth, but they took care of him and the Dallas Mavericks who embarrassed 
the team with the best record in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns, they took care of them in five games. The Golden State Warriors, what makes this title run so impressive to me, of course, obviously doing it without Kevin Durant, which I, I think really, really hurts his resume. I mean, look, Kevin Durant's one of the most dominant and one of the best offensive players in the history of the NBA. But I think now he's got an even bigger chip on his shoulder because, you know, he could have said, all right, well, Golden State, you know, two of their three rings came with me, two-time final MVP, right? They needed me. Well, buddy, you're gone. You assembled your little super team. You, you teamed up with Kyrie in Brooklyn and you guys haven't done squat and Golden State just got another ring. I mean, this is the cherry on top for the Warriors, right? All these, Steph was a Hall of Famer. Clay was a Hall of Famer. Steve Kerr was a Hall of Famer. Draymond, iffy, now Draymond's a Hall of Famer. Now, Andrew Wiggins, who not too long ago, everyone wanted to label as a bust of a number one overall draft pick. Now, Andrew Wiggins, he had a hell of a finals. Maybe he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, this Golden State postseason, this title run by the Warriors this year is arguably, I know they didn't take down LeBron James, but it's arguably the most impressive because of how dominant they were the entire time. And Steph Curry, as the ringleader of this Golden State team, of this Golden State dynasty, Steph Curry needs to be on the tip of all of your tongues when you discuss the top 10 NBA players of all time. It's time. He's got four rings. He's been the best player. I mean, I don't know if you want to argue Durant. Steph has always been the number one guy in Golden State. He's been the best player in at least two of those rings arguably, you know, you could say all four, he's a top 10 all-time NBA player. Outside of game five, when Steph was abysmal and the Warriors still rattled off a 10-point win, outside of game five, there was not a game in the finals that he scored fewer than 29 points. Outside of game five, where he went 0 for 9 from three, it was the first time regular season or postseason in 233 games that Stephen Curry didn't hit a three-pointer. I mean, you're talking a, a four-year-long streak. Outside of that game five, the rest of the series, how'd he do from beyond the arc? 50%. And we're not talking minimal attempts. I think he was 31 of 62 in those five games, excluding game five. Uh, I mean, Steph Curry, this is, you know, I say that this championship was the cherry on top for the Warriors dynasty. This championship finals MVP was the cherry on top of Steph Curry's Hall of Fame career. And the guy's still barely on the other side of 30. I mean, he's a top 10 all-time player. You know, he's surpassed. And I'm sorry, this is going to offend a lot of people. And I think it's also because, you know, anytime someone passes away, especially tragically, they instantly, let's just call it what it is, anytime someone passes away, they instantly get looked at in a better light than when they were still living. Steph Curry has surpassed Kobe Bryant on the all-time NBA player list. He is the best shooter of all time, folks, how can, you know, you have a sport in basketball where the objective of the sport is to shoot. You shoot the ball through the net, you get points for it, right? It's basketball 101, basketball for dummies. If you're teaching a four-year-old, you teach him, you shoot the ball into the net. He's the best shooter of all time. He's got to be on your top 10 list. He, he's he's the best to ever shoot. I mean, it's, it's that simple. You know, I mean, people can argue Oh, Kareem was the best scorer. Yeah, because he had the skyhook. He would literally drop the ball in the rim from above it. Steph Curry has changed the game of basketball. More than, you know, Kobe Bryant never changed the game. LeBron James is a freak athlete. One of one was built in a lab 
he has never changed the game. Steph Curry has changed the game from six-year-old basketball all the way up to the NBA, where everyone wants to be Steph Curry. Everyone wants to shoot like Steph. You know, people wanted to be Michael. People wanted to be LeBron. People wanted to be Kobe. You couldn't. Because it was either their physical gifts or their work ethic that made them who they were. Now everyone, it doesn't matter if you're five foot tall or seven foot tall, everyone's shooting the three because if they take enough reps, if they put up if they put up enough shots, they feel like they can be Steph Curry. This man has transcended and has changed the game of basketball over the past decade, and he's won while doing so. He's been to six finals, he's won four of them. Stephen Curry is a top ten NBA player of all time. Gronkowski's retirement and my final thoughts on the NBA draft coming up on the other side. Stay with me, Joe Serralo. You're locked into Serralo Sports Talk right here, right now on Sports Map Radio. All right, back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, as we get ready to almost wrap up this Believe Hour right here on Sports Map Radio. Flying by, so much to get to, both, you know, my personal life, obviously, that dating show we discussed, the NBA draft coming up where the Warriors and Steph Curry rank all time. We've got more draft talk coming. We've got to get to Rob Gronkowski. But first, I've got to remind you all that you need to go follow me right now. Stop what you're doing. Hit that follow button on social media, at Joe Serralo on Instagram, at the Joe Serralo on Twitter and TikTok. You know, if you want to argue with me after you hear what I'm about to say in terms of where Rob Gronkowski ranks all time in the tight end department, engage with me. You know, I always answer people. I love the debate, love the banter, love the back and forth. I also love to give out winning bets. I do it all the time on my show, on my social media pages, rather, I should say. So make sure you follow me there. You know, I'm five and one this week. I'm seven out of my last 10. Love to spread the wealth. Hopefully make y'all some money. Rob Gronkowski is maybe not the best tight end in NFL history, but you can argue that Rob Gronkowski dominated the tight end position or dominated the football field more than any other tight end we've seen in NFL history. I mean, this guy, first off, not only does he throw a great party, I mean, one of my, you know, I've covered the last five Super Bowls. One of my favorite events in the last five years was Gronk's Super Bowl party this year in LA. And I never thought for a second, by the way, he was going to retire. I, I mean, Tampa obviously just got bounced by the Rams, divisional weekend. Gronk and Brady figure they run it back, especially when Brady announced that he was unretiring after, you know, fewer days than Moses spent in the desert. I figured Gronk's definitely, you know, running it back, right? Because this is going to be Brady's last year. To me, there's there's no doubt about that. And you figure if Brady's going to go win a ring and go out on top, well, he's going to do it with Gronk. So this news shocks me, but... When you look at what Gronk's done, he doesn't have to do anything else. Just like Tom Brady, obviously, is the GOAT. You know, forget position, quarterback, player. He's the GOAT of football. Gronk may be the GOAT in terms of the tight end position. So if you look at where he ranks all time, right? Among tight ends, he's fifth in receiving yards. You know, great great guys on that list ahead of him. Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp. In yards per game, receiving yards per game, Gronk is second. Now, it's really important when you look at Gronk to look at per game numbers because he played so many fewer games than everyone else on that list. Tony Gonzalez played twice as many games as Rob Gronkowski. Jason Witten, Antonio Gates played significantly more games than Rob Gronkowski. Now, look, is there something to be said 
for longevity? There absolutely is. And those guys deserve all the credit in the world for it. But there's also something to be said for Gronk accomplishing almost exactly as much as they did in such a fewer, in such a shorter span of time. So you've got Gronk second all time in receiving yards per game with 65. The only guy who's ahead of him at the tight end position, none of the Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers that I just mentioned. Travis Kelsey, current tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, future Hall of Famer, 71 receiving yards per game. Now, are you going to sit here and say Travis Kelsey is a better all-time tight end than Gronk? Probably not. You know, he's also, even though he's a, in my opinion, an underrated blocker, he's not the blocker Rob Gronkowski was. I mean, Rob Gronkowski was not afraid. You know, people look at him and say, oh, he's Brady's favorite touchdown target. Absolutely. He was also one of the best blockers on that Patriots team at any given time. I mean, he is one of the strongest, craziest, meanest, most physical tight ends we've ever seen. And I think because of all of his success in terms of receiving yards and receiving touchdowns and being Brady's go-to target for the better part of a decade, I think because of all of that, we're a bit blinded to the fact that Rob Gronkowski was a phenomenal blocker. Maybe not Jason Witten, but a better blocker than Tony Gonzalez. And it's not even, I mean, Tony Gonzalez was really not much of a blocker. Rob Gronkowski had a physical mean streak, was a hell of a blocker. And, you know, look, I'm not sitting here saying he's John Mackey, but when you look at how well he did both, of those things, tight end's one of the toughest positions to play in football because you're expected to be a full-on offensive lineman and a full-on receiver and turn it on and off every other play. And Gronk was able to do that. So you've got a guy who's second all-time in receiving yards per game. He is third all-time in touchdowns, but let's look at those numbers. You've got Antonio Gates with 116, Tony G with 111. Gronk's got 92. So he's got 20 less touchdowns than Tony Gonzalez, who's in that number two spot played half the amount of games you're talking 143 games versus 270 so per game average say they play the same amount of games Gronk's you know what is that 175 touchdowns I mean yeah I'd say it's a few more than the current all-time leader Antonio Gates who's got 116 or Tony's 111 this is what I mean about dominance right Tony Gonzalez Antonio Gates Jason Witten they've got the longevity factor and then you look at their all-pro appearances right Gates three-time all-pro Gronk's a four-time All-Pro in way fewer seasons. Tony Gonzalez, a six-time All-Pro. He's got two more All-Pro appearances. And for the record, don't talk Pro Bowls. I don't care about Pro Bowls. Pro Bowls are a joke. It's All-Pro that matters. Tony Gonzalez, six All-Pro appearances in nearly 20 years. Gronk, four in about a decade. And then, of course, the Super Bowls. Rob Gronkowski is a four-time Super Bowl champ. Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, Jason Witten, none of them ever won a Super Bowl. And not that Jason Witten's really in the conversation, but none of them ever won a Super Bowl. Rob Gronkowski's got four rings. Yeah, you can sit here and say, oh, well, he played with Tom Brady. Anyone who's played with Brady has rings. Yeah, yeah, Rob Gronkowski played with Tom Brady. He was also Tom Brady's favorite target. And there's something to be said for that. He's as responsible for all the winning that happened in New England during his tenure there as anyone. Because he was always the number one target. You know, Brady loved Wes Welker. Brady loved Julian Edelman. When Brady needed a big third down or when Brady and the Pats were in the red zone and they needed to get into the end zone, Rob Gronkowski, make no mistake about it, just because he wasn't a wide receiver, he was always the number one target. So yeah, am I going to sit here and say he had a better career 
than Tony Gonzalez? Well, to me, it's a slightly different question because Gonzalez had the longevity factor and 15 Pro Bowls, six-time All-Pro, you know, second most touchdowns, most yards ever. I won't sit here and say he had a better career. But Rob Gronkowski, for the career that he had, is the most dominant tight end in the history of the National Football League. Now, look, I hope like hell that he comes out of retirement, pulls a Brady in two or three weeks' time. Because of the amount of time he took to make this decision, because we're almost into July at this point, I think it's pretty final. He's retired once before. I don't think he's going to do it twice and come out. That said, he's crazy enough. You can't rule anything out. But I I think because he gave it, you know, all offseason. I mean, Brady announced his initial retirement. The playoffs were still going on, which was a move I didn't like. He announced it back then, unretired, you know, before springtime even came. We're in summer now. Gronk's announcing this. I think it's final. Rob Gronkowski, the most dominant tight end of all time. But, folks, the NBA draft is about 15 minutes, maybe even less, maybe about 10 minutes away by now. So let's dive into why I don't love Chet Holmgren. And I never will. Like I said, the guy's seven feet tall. He's a buck 85 soaking wet. To me, I, I mean, you know, that's concerning. I've seen people on social media say, oh, he's got the making to be the next Kevin Durant. That's insane. I'm sorry. That, that is just so insane to me to compare Chet Holmgren to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant in his one year at Texas was a scoring machine. He, I mean, Texas had a great year. They won games. I know Gonzaga won games, but look at the level of competition. Texas dominated way better competition than Gonzaga this year. So what I want to look at to back up my argument, because I don't think I I need a whole lot of backing up here. I I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Chet Holmgren's performances against the better parts of Gonzaga's schedule this season. So NCAA tournament, let's look at what he did in, uh, you know, I'm not going to count that first game against the 16 seed. Let's look at what he did against Memphis in round two in the one versus nine game, and then against Arkansas in their sweet 16 loss. Nine points against Memphis, 30 minutes, fouled out. Arkansas, they lost. 11 points, just 23 minutes, fouled out. So in his two NCAA tournament games that came not against a 16 seed, Holmgren averaged 10 points, he averaged 26 and a half minutes, and he fouled out in both of them. When his team needed him the most, when they were making a run at a national title, Holmgren couldn't play more than 30 minutes, and he fouled out in both of their important games. Don't forget, they barely beat Memphis. They squeaked by Memphis. They beat him 82 to 78, four points. By the way, a guy on that Memphis team who I love, who they're saying might be drafted around the number 10 spot tonight, who I think is worth the top seven pick, Jalen Duran, the big man out of Memphis. He absolutely bullied Gonzaga. He got into foul trouble himself in that game. If Jalen Duran plays more minutes against Gonzaga, they're bounced this past March in the round of 32. He was dominant. When you're dealing with a big body banger like that, Chet Holmgren's going to snap. I mean, let's look at what he did against other premier competition. Gonzaga had that big game against Texas earlier this season. 23 minutes played. Two points, four fouls. Awful. UCLA and Duke, actually, some of his better performances against good competition. They beat UCLA. He had 15 points. You know, to me, it's kind of pedestrian for a guy who's going to be the number two overall pick. But 15 points, three fouls, played 28 minutes. Duke, they lost, but he had 16 points. Again, you know, kind of pedestrian for a number two overall pick, but hey, it's Duke. 16 points, three fouls, 29 minutes. So almost identical lines versus Duke and UCLA against Alabama. Gonzaga lost. They lost to Alabama, a team that got bounced. I think they were a sixth seed, got bounced in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. He had 10 points in 22 minutes. Only played 22 minutes. By the way, wasn't in foul trouble. 
Only played 22 minutes against Bama. Against a team that doesn't play a lot of defense. Against a team that you have to beat by shooting. And people are saying, well, he could be the next Kevin Durant. Well, why didn't he shoot the lights out against Alabama? And then, three games against St. Mary's. The best competition in conference Gonzaga faces. You know, worthy every year of, you know, usually like a five to a nine seed. Respectable. They're not a powerhouse blue chip program, but respectable. In three games against St. Mary's, Gonzaga went two and one. And Holmgren averaged eight points per game. I think he only had one double-digit performance against St. Mary's. Averaged eight points per game against St. Mary's. Averaged four fouls per game. Couldn't stay on the court against St. Mary's. And three-point shooting. The guy who people want to compare to Kevin Durant. He was one of seven combined in those three matchups against St. Mary's from beyond the arc. Now, you're going to compare him. People are going to argue. He's going to be the best player in this draft class. How about Jabari Smith? How about the way he ended the season for Auburn? Now, look, did Auburn end on a disappointing note? They absolutely did. They got bounced by A&M, who, of course, got hot in the SEC tournament, went all the way to the title game, then in the NIT, you know, went all the way, I believe, to the NIT finals at Madison Square Garden, or at least the semifinals. So Auburn, of course, they get bounced opening round of the SEC tournament. They get bounced to Miami, shockingly, second round of the NCAAs. But Jabari, to end the regular season, no one was playing better hoops than him. Auburn went 4-2 and two in their last six games. He averaged 25 points, 7 boards, and in those six games, shot 57% from beyond the arc. So people want to say Holmgren's a better shooter. To me, Jabari's the better shooter. Jabari's built more like an NBA player. He's 6'10", 220. To me, this is not even a conversation, not even a question. No wonder the odds are now Jabari Smith to be the first pick minus 330 because Jabari Smith is the guy who deserves to be the first pick. Paolo Banquero, who in the NCAA tournament averaged 20 points, eight boards, and shot 50% from the floor en route to Duke's final four appearance, he should be the number two pick. And Jaden Ivey, the shooting guard who can do it all. He can shoot from three. If the three's not falling, he can attack the rim. You know, we saw it against Iowa. Purdue lost to Iowa in that Big Ten championship game. He was one of eight from deep, still shot 50%. How many times does a guard go one of eight from deep and still manage to shoot 50%? He adjusted his game, had 20 points, attacked the rim. Ivy plays a fearless style of basketball, comes from a basketball family. You know, to me, Smith, Boncaro, Ivy, they're the premier talent in this NBA draft class. Chet Holmgren is simply not. I think he's got bust written all over him. Back with my final word, you're listening to Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, right here on Sports Map Radio. All right, back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, for my final word as we wrap up this hour together, leading right into the NBA draft. Of course, catch that on the ESPN networks starting in quite literally about seven minutes. Jabari Smith, I'm sure, will be formally announced as soon as the draft begins. To the Magic, look, we know it's Smith 1, Holmgren 2. You know I disagree with that pick by Oklahoma City at 2. And Paolo Banquero at 3 to Houston. Jaden Ivey probably going to go 4th. We'll see if it's Sacramento. We'll see if it's someone else. Maybe my Knicks. Maybe another team slides in there. The rest of the draft, I'm not necessarily sold on the talent, really, once you exit the lottery. But, you know, there's guys that could go 10 and be the third best player in the draft. Guys that could go, you know, five and, and be out of the league in four years. It's an intriguing draft in that respect. I think really big drop off after Smith, Boncaro, and Ivy. 
But certain guys really intrigued me. You know, Jalen Duran, I mentioned him before, talking about that Memphis-Gonzaga NCAA tournament game. I think Jalen Duran can be one of the better big-bodied, really, you know, tough enforcer type, old-school big men in the league. Ty Ty Washington, the combo guard out of Kentucky. I'd like to see him running point. There were some rumors, some mock drafts about him going to Memphis with Tyus Jones potentially on his way out. I think that him and John Morant, And Desmond Bain, that three-man rotation would be a hell of a backcourt to watch down for the Grizzlies. I do want to, in less than a minute, mention that MLB All-Star Game voting is going on. And, you know, this year they've got that new format. Top two infielders, catchers, DHs will move on to a runoff starting in a week from today, June 30th. Top six outfielders move on. And, guys, this is my PSA. Maybe it's me being a homer. Go vote for my Mets. Alonzo right now is second. He's set to go to that runoff with Goldschmidt. NL leader in homers and RBI. Jeff McNeil is currently third among second basemen. Get him in the top two. He's got the fourth highest batting average in the National League. Vote Lindor at shortstop. He's also third right now. Top five RBIs in the National League. And in the outfield, Brandon Nimmo's playing gold glove center. Starling Marte is hitting the cover off the ball. Mark Canna was signed to be a fourth outfielder, and he's batting 300. Vote for your All-Stars. Vote Mets. I mean, look, this team, they've got the best record in National League. They deserve it. There's my little PSA. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks to all of you for tuning in every week. Have a great night. Enjoy the draft. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.